don't forget, guys and gals, as we survive this frosty weather up here in New York, that if you don't have a Naira Bets account, you too can sign up and get a $200 match deposit bonus using the promo code Rewind200, R-E-W-I-N-D-2-0-0. Check it out on the Naira Bets app or NairaBets.com. Terms and conditions do apply. Welcome to episode 79 of Redboard Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbuehl, and today my special guest was a Daily Gallup writer. He is now an in-the-money writer. It is Eric Solomon. We go over four races from the expansive Fairgrounds card, written Star Day on this past Saturday. The races we cover are 1, 6, 8, and 13. And some angles we talk about are looking for those poor maiden favorites that are progressing but have too many starts at the level. The Lecomte was a key race for the Risen Star and the rest of the Louisiana Preps. And why Dolder Grand's second place earlier on the card should have helped you get to the winner, Big Lake. This is Redboard Rewind. It's the same old story in this cycle. We go back and forth. We go back and forth. It ain't good for me. Why we do this for? We go back and forth. Won't do this no And my special guest this week is another Daily Gallup writer. Now he's writing for In the Money. It's Eric Solomon. Eric, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I am good. Getting ready to get this Monday off. I'm actually usually off today. I'm, I'm working from 3 to 8, so I'm going to get this nice podcast in. Talk about the great racing over at Fairgrounds. I know you're writing over In the Money for Fairgrounds. How have you been doing so far? So it, it, it's been up and down. I, I think the biggest challenge the last week or so, especially, is, is trying to figure out what the weather is going to do. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, I'm not down there in New Orleans. I'm in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, which is suburban Harrisburg. So tr- trying to figure out, are they going to be on the turf? Are they, you know, is it going to be a sloppy track, a fast track? That's been the biggest challenge over the last uh, few days for sure. I know writing, you know, just doing myself for the Gallup or doing, you know, Keeneland when I was with Scott Shapiro's website, it was almost good to either have, you know, the track as your on your Twitter or just having a couple of people who you know were close to the area that you know play, you know, almost four or five days a week. Oh, it looks like it's going to be sloppy today. Or even just, you know, sending out that quick message to people just to be like, hey, do you know what it's going to do down there? Because I remember writing, you know, some days for Keeneland, if it had to be a rush job, you know, two days in advance, then I, you know, Look at the last few races of the day when I got home from work and it'd be like a downpour. I'd be like, well, I guess that write-up was uh, completely wrong in itself. Yeah, and and you know, being in the mid-Atlantic, we're used to that all summer long with the you know pop-up thunderstorms, and you mm-hmm. you know you're good till about three o'clock, and then from three to five, some sometimes it's a totally different story. So give me kind of your your take on where you started in racing, what got you kind of, you know, got you the bug. What makes you, you know, what made you want to start doing the write-ups? Sure. I, I've been going to the track for as, as long as I can remember. You know, my, my dad had a couple of small shares of some cheap horses that raced at, you know, in, in the Mid-Atlantic, uh, Garden State Park, uh, Philadelphia Park, now Parks, Delaware Park. So we, we would go... It, you know, pre- pretty much, you know, a couple times a month at, for, for sure. And just o- always had a blast and just kind of kept following it through, you know, 
pretty much through high school, college, and, and now as an adult. So I've always been interested. And this year when COVID kind of came around, uh, had a ton of free time on my hands that I don't usually have. And just saw on Twitter that Daily Gallup was looking for somebody to possibly write for them. So I reached out and been kind of doing that for the last nine months now. And it's always hard because when you're looking for writers, you know, I've had it every which way. I've had people who like, you know, are super excited to write and almost write too much in depth where, you know, you have like six paragraphs on one race. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, we got to cut that back. Or I have the guy who, you know, race number one, horse ran well first time out, should improve second. Okay, good. And coming from like, it, my perspective is coming from the bets call, I want to teach people why would this horse improve so much second time out? Is it just like an angle that everyone should know? You know, based on the Jim Quinn books, you know, they should improve to eight to ten points sometimes. And that's just kind of like, you know, when I write a write-up, it's like second time out improvement is eight to ten points of improvement. You know, sometimes it happens. Most of the sometimes it won't. But that's like usually the steadfast rule. Mm-hmm. And some people, you know, when you look at writing, I want to learn something from your writing. Right? Like, you know, if you hit a 50 to one shot and there's barely any writing on it. I can't really learn much from that. And obviously we had you doing the stake previews and I think going horse by horse for some people, it might seem too like too much, but just a sentence or two on each horse in that aspect. I think you can kind of learn something, you know, this horse is outclassed. This horse, you know, should like the distance switch or, you know, top rider jumps on for, you know, maybe a weaker connection. I think that those are always different angles that you can really learn from. Absolutely. And, and I think doing those stake previews just helped my handicapping because you, it really does force you to look at every single horse in the race and, you know, you're not missing as much. You're really spending time looking at each horse and, you know, whereas maybe, you know, if a horse doesn't jump off the page at, at you, you know, you're, you're able to kind of catch things that, that you would have missed otherwise. Uh, we have a Slack group for the Daily Gallup, and, you know, a lot of people, you know, we're we're hanging out, you know, we're talking horses, we're talking sports betting, et cetera, and, you know, somebody will be like, oh, I have to jump off to do a write-up, and, you know, he'll catch some flack, like, oh, you can always do that later, it shouldn't take that long. A solid write-up sometimes should take, you know, it's it's not the handicapping that takes a long time, it's the writing, it's the, you know, for me, uh, the way I do it is I do, I handicap a race and I do the write-up for it, whereas I know a lot of other people will do the whole card and then go back and start from the beginning, and just, I mean, it takes me a solid, you know, hour and a half to three hours to do a really solid write-up when I'm really trying to get all my facts out on paper. Yeah. And it's about the same. And you usually, one of the things that I really like about the fairgrounds is how early they draw their cards. <laughs> yes, sir. And that, that's that, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, I, I don't always have large chunks of time. So when I know I have a 30 minute block, I, I, I can get a little bit done and, you know, kind of stretch it out over the week. So so that helps me manage my time a lot better. I I find it so funny because also Oaklawn, the one that the track that I'm uh, writing for Pete, they also kind of, you know, go a little bit earlier than most tracks. Like I I don't understand why certain tracks can go seven days early, but tracks (laughs) like Naira and Santania, they're like, you know, sometimes, you know, if I'm looking, if we have a Saturday card for the, for the daily gal season, I'm not getting Santanita's PPs until Wednesday night at like nine o'clock Eastern. And I'm like, okay, well that pretty much chopped that day off. So I really only have a 48, you know, more like, you know, 60 hour block to really get it done. And when people are like, Oh, that sounds like enough time. You know, I already have another personal job where I'm, you know, not doing the racing full time, you know, 
fiance. I'm trying to get other stuff done. You know, that, that's always been the hardest part for me with racing is if they want to get new fans, it's very difficult sometimes when you're trying to, you know, multitask five to six things. I agree. A, a, a buddy of mine works in the racing office at Penn National, and they, you know, now that they're down to two days a week, they, they'll draw the he'll, he'll take the entries for them and, and they'll try to as much as possible. If they're racing on Wednesday, I think they're drawing for the following Wednesday and, and same on Friday now, but that, that way it kind of using that schedule, it limits the days that they have to come into the office. And, mm-hmm. and I know that that's probably also a little bit, you know, COVID related to just kind of the number of, of times that you have to show up, but that, that's how they do it over there. So I, I don't know if, if that's a uh, similar across the country at other tracks. Well, let's kind of talk about your process and how you handicap a race. I don't know. Did you read a lot of handicapping books growing up or is it more of, you know, you just kind of learn on the fly at the racetrack with your dad or whatnot. Where do you kind of start? Are you a class pace former speed figure handicapper? Um, I, I, I definitely have read buyer's books. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I definitely do use the speed figures um there um but but again it's kind of uh it's been a lot of trial and error over over you know the last you know 35 plus years Mm -hmm. um so if if i'm looking at a race i i mean I, i usually do start with with speed figures just to kind of whether it's weeding out some horses, whether it's, you know, looking for some patterns that might indicate that a horse is sitting on a, a decent race, looking to see if, if there's some kind of hit something hidden in there that, you know, might, the horse might not be in great form right now, but has shown ability in the past, trying to see if, if there's something a little more than just the obvious, you know, even money or eight to five favorite that has, you know, on paper, looks like might have the best speed figures. Uh, I forget. I think it was Brad Freer said it in our podcast recently. He goes, speed figures kind of rule the odds and the tote board. And, and I do agree with that. It's, I think it's hard for some people to see, you know, first time out a horse runs an 80 buyer. And, you know, a couple horses have run like, you know, maybe low 70s. And it's like, well, how is this 80 horse, you know, going to decrease? And how are they going to jump up and improve to, you know, be able to beat this horse? And, you know, sometimes, you know, I feel like I hear this a lot in the OTBs around here. They'll try and beat the horse. The horse will win by six and they'll get frustrated. And then probably for the next three or four days, they won't try and beat that horse. Or on the opposite, you know, they'll play the horse. The horse won't run as well and they will get, you know, a horse to jump up and beat them. And I feel like that's one of the toughest races really in the game is where you have one horse. We'll talk about it also on this podcast where that happened, where a horse has a really nice buyer and, you know, a couple horses right behind, you know, can they jump up and beat that horse? And, you know, that one horse with that low, with that high buyer is just going to be, you know, crush the window four to five, six to five, even money. I agree. And then one of the things that I'll do is when I, when I see that race and if I'm not sure about that favorite, I I do really like going back into the replays. Mm -hmm. And that's something that as they become more and more readily available to the average player, I think that that that's helped a lot too, where, you know, if a horse runs that 80 buyer first asking, was he on the lead? Did he have a really easy trip doing it? You know, whereas maybe if overcome some adversity in that first start, I might be more likely to 
try and play that horse back. What about some of your favorite angles? Obviously, you talked about patterns. What's kind of your favorite pattern when it comes to the buyer speed figures? You know, I, I don't know if it's this one specifically. Mm-hmm. I, I do like horses that, that you know, continue to progress, uh, you know, e- each time, especially when you're getting into the bigger races. Um, you, you know, I, I, think, I think we saw that with uh, Mandaloon and the Risen Star. Um, I, I also like to see, you know, horses, if I think you can get good value on horses that are coming off of a bad race, if they have shown in their lines an ability to kind of recover and, you know, for whatever reason, if, if they had a lousy day, you know, are, are they able, have they shown in the past that they can kind of jump right back up to the form they were at? So, so sometimes you can get some decent value on horses like that as well. I think one of my favorite angles going forward with just speed figures sometimes will be when a horse exits, you know, maybe a mid-tier barn, 10 to 15% barn, goes into a sub, you know, 5% barn, runs terrible, and then all of a sudden gets picked up by Diodoro, Cox, you know, mm-hmm. Amos. And everyone's like, oh, the horse ran so bad last time. And I'm like, well, it's completely different direction. Now you have, you know... And I don't think people understand this enough. The the barns that have the best winning percentage probably have the best vets, the best grooms, the best, et cetera, because they can, you know, give that money out because they're making more. And just all of a sudden the horse, you know, maybe won't even run back to that, you know, 10 to 15 percent barn number, but will improve. And, you know, all of a sudden best last out has a, you know, career top. And people just don't understand that. I'm like, well, you know, oh, the, you know. The, the barn must have put something in the horse. No, maybe the horse has finally gotten to a barn where they understand the horse and got, got him, you know, feeling better. Maybe he had some sore feet or whatnot. Absolutely. And then conversely, it, it was, uh, and, and actually I just saw that the horse scratched today, but the, uh, I was looking at uh, one of the races at the fairgrounds today and, and a horse getting claimed from one of the top tier barns mm-hmm. and moving into a barn where the, the trainer hasn't won in over a year. Mm-hmm. So, you're seeing that and you know if you just look straight at the figures and the patterns the horse looks like i mean would probably be a two to one maybe eight to five type favorite in the race and probably pretty hard to pick against if he stayed in that top tier barn and now there's that doubt with the you know kind of doubt starts seeping in what what happens when you know three weeks later he, the source is now running for a, a trainer that hasn't won in over a year you know it's kind of looking that where where does the price fall do if it's a short price uh, it's for me that's an automatic toss if the price starts creeping up do, are you willing to take that gamble that you know he still has some of that good form in him and that the, the trainer couldn't have changed that much in a short amount of time and I, th- I think, too, sometimes you'll, you'll get that, you know, negative trainer change and all of a sudden they're, you know, the blinkers are on. They've yelled the horse. And t- <laughs> to me, it's almost like, OK, good. It's not a jockey on. It's the kitchen sink that's on the back of the horse because now they're just trying to throw darts at the board and just see what maybe the other trainer hadn't done that they can do to make this horse improve. And you said it all. It comes down to price and logic. I, th- I don't think enough people think logically in this game. I think the Matias brothers both brought that up in podcasts in the past that, you know, if a 20% trainer either, you know, put this horse up for a claim and then you see a first time, you know, off the claim trainer pick him up and he's 0 for his last 20, maybe that guy doesn't know the claiming game as well as his top trainer. And there's a reason that the horse was in for the claiming box to begin with. Absolutely. Totally agree. 
why don't we go ahead and jump in to our first race of the pod. It was race number one from this wonderful Saturday card at Fairgrounds. It was a maiden special weight going six furlongs on the dirt. The number three rookery with that, like you had said, steady progression, but was now going for his sixth time to try and break the maiden was the favorite. Yeah, and, and this was a horse that I wanted nothing to do with on top, but but it definitely felt like you had to think about him underneath in the exotics. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I did like that Johnny V did take the mount on this horse, but again, I, I felt that th- there were some better chances, better prices that, that were out there and just wasn't willing to take a short price on a horse that, has failed that many times. What did you end up making your contest play here in the Daily Gallop contest? So I ended up on Famous Attraction, the seven. Um, I, I like, I thought the debut effort on the turf was was a really good effort. Um, it was a step slow away from the gate and, and ended up c- kind of far back, far back, certainly probably farther back than they had anticipated early in a 12-horse sprint. Uh, watching on the replay that probably went about seven wide in the turn in the stretch, but, but which isn't always the best move at the fairgrounds for sure. But I really liked the way the source was gaining at the wire was I think two lengths behind the eventual winner. And then I look at the pedigree um, into mischief. Uh, um, the sire probably, probably the hottest sire that, in, that we have right now in mm-hmm. American racing. And then I, I really uh, caught my eye was the dam sire of two punch, which again, a mid, mid Atlantic guy, uh, two punch was the you know three time leading sire in Maryland in the nineties. So you don't see that uh, you don't see his name too often uh, floating around out there, but a, a really good sprinter sire uh, progeny, really gritty um, sire of horses like smoke black, smoke black in and taking risks. So that, that caught my eye. Uh, I think uh, Calhoun was the trainer. Um, turf to dirt was a good angle there. I, I, I thought seven to two was a good number on that horse. So that, that ended up being my top pick. I, I love what you had to say about Rookery. Just it, it wasn't so much an auto toss for me. Also, I had a terrible trainer stat on the Catman Wayne Catalano, one for 25 off the layoff going route to sprint. Sometimes people will just see that steady progression going up. And they like it, and, and I do too, just not in the maiden ranks. Like, this is where it's kind of that catch-22 when you're first starting out, and you go to the racetrack maybe once a month, and you're like, well, I hear the people on TV say this is a good, you know, oh, you want to look for those steady progression. Yeah, but it's also not good in maiden races, but it might be good in the claiming ranks for older horses. So, mm-hmm. I, I, Johnny V jumping on, I kind of feel if Florent can't get it done and Gaffleon couldn't get it done in the debut, you know, Leperu also one of my favorite favorite jockeys back in the day, I just don't think that the uh, jock change is that different. I thought a horse like firing to the front for Justin Jinson just had monster, monster workouts. I didn't really know much about the trainer. And when I looked it up, the, the stats were pretty good. But what ended up being my top pick was uh, the Albert Stahl Jr. horse, Caribbean Caper, uh, for CJ Hernandez. There's something about when you just kind of look through the workout pattern and you see the five furlong works, so you know, and the and the amount of works as well. So you know the conditioning is going to be there. But the last two were just really improved. The last couple, forty nine and one, forty nine and two, three or four back, and then all of a sudden he just pops out that forty eight and three in that flat forty eight, going for. I just liked the way the progression was happening. This one seemed like he was ready to pop off first time. 
Also, the fact that the track, you know, still had some moisture in it, and Spites down, we all know how good he can be as a sire just overall. They paid $250,000 for this horse, so I thought there was at least a little bit of background there where they thought this horse, you know, maybe not win first time out, but there was some expectation being, you know, that triple-digit uh, auction price. Anything else in this race that kind of, you know, stood out to you? Obviously, we know you like Famous Attraction and were against the favorite. Was there any other horse, if you were looking at it vertically or horizontally, that you're like, this could also be a decent ad horse? Sure. I, I did also take a um, – I think there were five first-time starters in the race. So I, I did look at Caribbean Keith uh, on Candy Wrapper Crazy. Mm -hmm. I, again, I similar work pattern. Um, what was I, I like the outside draw for, for this horse and it, for the first start. It's also another uh, sire uh, pedigree kind of play. I, I like what I've seen from Outwork as a sire. Again, those horses have done all right on an off track as well. So I kind of had that in the back of my head. Was, wasn't sure. That, that that seemed to be the firster that I, that I kind of gravitated to. Let us see who can break their mate in the first. It's Caribbean Caper for me. It's Famous Attraction for Eric. We'll listen to the call right now. Away and running at the fairgrounds. Caribbean Caper broke sharp. Caribbean Caper quickly taken on by firing to the front who just leads. Caribbean Caper with Candy Wrapper Crazy showing that positional pace in third. Moving up is a real jewel between fillies. Toward the inside is Perfect Limit and the goal cap in sleeves. The leading quintet heading toward the half mile pole. Famous attraction is a wide sixth. Rookery looks to gain toward the inside from seventh position and on debut, Out Loud Trails. The maiden three-year-old Phillies sprint here in a Saturday opener. The quarter good track in 22.24 seconds. Three furlongs from home at the inside, firing to the front narrowly from on the outside. Caribbean Keeper looking to match strides. Candy Rapper Crazy is right there. Famous attraction gears up in the four path. Rookery a two wide bid. A real jewel from Perfect Limit and Outlaw was last as they straightened. Half mile in 45.77 seconds. She's Caribbean Keeper. She's taken the lead into the furlong grounds. Kicked away from firing to the front. Famous attraction. Rookery is in fourth. They come past the 16th with Kobe Hernandez. This newcomer by Spitestown. Caribbean Keeper. Caribbean Keeper cruised in with a dominating debut. Famous attraction on the wire for second. Photo with Rookery. Firing to the front, finish fourth. 109.88 for Caribbean Caper. And the number six, Caribbean Caper gets it done, paying 840 with an 87 buyer. Kind of blew this field away by eight lengths. Your horse runs a solid second, just getting up for second over. The horse we didn't like, Rookery. What are your kind of thoughts coming out of this race, Eric? Well, that was a monster performance from your horse Caribbean Caper. Um, uh, I, I think it was, it was a high to mid, mid to high eighties buyer for, for that performance. Mm -hmm. Eight length victory. Um, certainly looks like a runner there. Um, my, my horse won with second famous attraction, bobbled a little bit at the start, was wide throughout. And again, it kind of a theme for, for my day where, where, where horses that kind of on horses that may have had a little trouble out of the start and ended up further behind than they wanted to. And it was not an easy day for horses to come from far out. Uh, but it, it was a solid second for the first time on dirt, probably going to be a, a respectable speed figure. Uh, so, so definitely a horse I'd look to play back again next time. I think too, you and me had the exact right idea with Rookery, who again, improved the buyer one more going up from a 68 to a 69. Just this is the type of horse that, I think can run second and third, but really needs to find like either the like needs to drop down to a claiming race to really break the maiden because he's always going to find that one well meant first or 
or a horse like Famous Attraction that's, you know, switching surfaces for the first time that can just, you know, if you take Caribbean Caper out of it, Rookery, Rookery's race looks a lot better. It's just that the Firster was really, really out there and did well from just off the pace, kind of just beat down the horse on the lead there and firing to the front, who was 18-1. to 1. It's kind of that, you know, favorite favorite trip you look for where you're, just, you're on with a, with a longer shot and uh, got it done. Anything else coming out of this race? Obviously, I know you talked about Candy Wrapper Crazy. I had the note that uh, Bauer was 17% first-time starters, had solid works in there. This one kind of runs, you know, back half of the field, but ended up running a halfway or running only a 48 buyer. Anything uh, improvement-wise? Obviously, the top three in here were all the ones that were sub-10 to 1, and this is the only other one that was sub-10 to 1 that the favorite kind of liked. Yeah, I, I don't know. We'll have to see what um... – what candy rapper crazy gets uh who, who he's up against for his next start if, if um you know if if they card another maiden special weight on uh louisiana derby day card i i know they like to card a lot of those races on they kind of follow a progression um ch- chances are he'll probably be a, a double digit price horse there and I, and I don't know if he has that big of a jump up to win a race like this um on, on a day like that you know, if, if, if he ent- enters on, you know, another maiden special finds a weaker field, I, I certainly could consider using him knowing that, that again, he, he, he faced a pretty strong horse today. Let's move on to our second race, race number six, another maiden special weight going this time. We're stretching out to one and one sixteenth miles on the dirt favoritism in the outside horse sainthood for Todd Pletcher second time out today. Uh, I, I ended up on cool rags and this was my best bet of the day on Saturday. Um, I, I thought that that St. Hood and Dolder Grand were solid horses, but, but again, I, I thought they were both horses that you could take a swing against. And uh, what I liked about cool rags is, is that it, it did, you know, the first two races were, were disasters, but, but did start to make that, progression that we're looking for and, and improving. Um, and I, I think that his first race here, um, he, he was in a maiden special weight on Le Comte day and between the ride and the trip, it was just as awful as an experience that, that you could have had. And, and I still thought he ran on pretty well. Um, he had post 11 that day in a 12 horse maiden special weight field, uh, he broke real sharp and, and then we, we, you could see he was ridden pretty hard in the first few strides. And then the rider kind of backed off a little bit. He ended up taking the widest of, of uh, was widest of all ended up kind of getting shuffled back to last after that sharp start. Um, did, made a solid middle move was wide again on the turn um, and kind of faded off late, late, but I still think finished well enough to think that this horse could improve and, and come back and, and you know, pay a decent price today. And I think he ended up going off at about 10 to one. He was nine to one. I like what you said about how, you know, we were getting kind of those first two races out of the way. And then finally, almost like the light bulb came on. He started to run the more consistent numbers around where you need to be to win this race. I was on, uh, I was on St. Hood. I just think Todd Pletcher. Now Johnny V jumps on this one. Just missed last time out at five to one over at Gulfstream Park. And I'm not saying that those, Made in special weights are better than over here at fairgrounds. It's kind of hard to differentiate, but I just thought the number first time out was good. I've been an Ira guy my entire life. I know what Pletcher does second time out. Usually we see that nice improvement. The other horse I thought that really had a chance would be 
Dolder Grand, who, again, had just kind of, you know, run those two turf races, then all of a sudden didn't jump up off the summer, but he had run those two, you know, mid to low 70s. And that last race with the red fractions from time form with Alex Pacheza on, I think that Mark Cassie maybe had thought he'd found the right rider. That horse went off at five to two as a favorite that day and stayed on with a fast pace. And I think that's always something that you have to look for in these route races is are they going fast up front and who, you know, who wins the battle of the pace duel, but, you know, loses the war. And I thought this one was one that after having run so fast and still finishing in the top three could be very, very dangerous. I, I agree. And, and I use both of them underneath um, for in terms of sainthood. I, I, I completely agree with everything you said. I was still a little perplexed with him showing up here. Um, Pletcher, uh, ha, uh, you know, he, he's certainly been represented on these big days in Louisiana in the past. Um, so the first time around, I saw that he had the horse here. So I was, you know, didn't get to the back end of the car wondering who else he was running, but, but this was the only horse that Pletcher brought uh, to new Orleans for the card. Uh, so he wasn't, you wasn't starting anybody in any of the graded stakes races there. Um, so, so I, it just kind of threw me for a little bit of a loop there. And then on top of it, drawing the outside post for the first time around two turns, uh, you know, I, I figured he was going to be the favorite, but I, I thought there, there was a, ch a chance where he could be beaten. Uh, Dolder Grand, again, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I do think he had a very good trip, definitely one of the better trips uh, last time out. And still was, you know, and, and I know that the pace was a little bit, it was a little hot up front, but I would have liked to have seen him finish better. So, so again, I was just wondering, you know, it's, he had the good trip and didn't quite get the job done. So he knew he would be bad. So I, I thought this would be a good chance to look at a long shot that maybe didn't have things go his way last time. Another thing about that last race for Dolder Grand is you see the winner, Big Lake, who was coming back later on the card. So for people who, you know, can kind of take notes on this, it's if Dolder Grand runs good, how good could Big Lake be later on the card? For Eric, it was cool rags. For me, it was the favorite sainthood. Let's see if we can break their maiden here right now. Cool rags hopped in the air at the start, drifts back to last. There's Sainthood going right out toward the lead. Dolder Grand nearest the inside. Cody's legacy in the black cap is also prominent and needs to settle. And Mass Parade strides up on the outside. But it's Sainthood. Sainthood out to the front here for John Velasquez. Leads the trio of a rank Cody's legacy, Mass Parade, and Dolder Grand at the inside. Cody's legacy is a taken back to settle in fourth position as the favorite second time starter, Sainthood, leads them to the back of the track. Then Tiwanaku the Gray from Olympic champion who's looking to improve out deep on the track. Blue and red halves of Olympic champion who's now gaining with five furlongs to go. The trailers are the newcomer on the outside, cross check in the Godolphin blue and Cool Rags, who hopped in the air at the start, has drifted back to eighth and last. The quarter in 24.91 seconds, heading to the half-mile pole at Sainthood. So Sainthood out in front, the favorite led, three-quarters length to Mask Parade. Dolder Grand is third, with on the outside Cody's Legacy in fourth. Diwanaku has been saving ground in fifth, and some six lengths off the lead as they round the far turn to three furlongs from home. Ed out in front still, Sainthood for Mask Parade. Then comes Cool Rags, who's under pressure, cross-check and... 
The distant trailer is Olympic champion as these maiden three-year-olds come toward the top of the stretch. Three-quarters, 113.77 seconds. Seen hood narrowly as Mass Parade is brought to the attack with toward the inside Dolder Grand who joins in the final furlong and a half. Seen hood clings on. Dolder Grand powerfully up the inside has taken the lead in the furlong grounds from Seen hood. Mass Parade is charging hard on the outside. Tiwanaku and Colrax heads the rest. They're close to home. Seen hood gamely. Dolder Grand toward the inside Saint Hood and Dolder Grand that's on the bob mass parade was third then Tiwanaku and cool rags and the number nine Saint Hood gets it done paying an even four dollars 76 buyers so actually no improvement just barely gets it done against the aforementioned Dolder Grand huge huge photo finish one of the better races on the card from an excitement level absolutely and, and again I think I had the right idea trying to beat both of these horses because again, it was a very similar performance for both of them. They didn't really jump up. Uh, cool rags for, for, uh, you know, watching the start, it was like, you could see everything in slow motion where he, <laughs> he tossed his head just lightly starts looking down and then the latch springs open and he's not prepared for the start ends up last. Um, I, I do think Brian Hernandez, I, I, I I appreciated the effort on the, on the ride where didn't panic, just kind of let the horse back, save ground on the rail. I, I thought he ran a pretty good race, all things considered. Um, but pace scenario was totally different today as it was a much slower uh, opening quarter because once St. Hood took the lead was pretty uh, Johnny V. So it's why he's a hall of famer was able to slow things down. I, I think 49 and change for the uh, opening half. And that's kind of all she wrote there. I think for Cool Rags, too, looking at the last six workouts, I don't really see a gate work, but first race was slow at the start, hopped shy at the start, slow start. Then the last two, it kind of looked like he had fixed him, fixed, uh, fixed himself, and now all of a sudden we're back to the bad gate starts again. Yeah, and, and I, I think it was just more of a timing thing that, mm -hmm. you know, I, I certainly don't want to, you know, I'm, being, being a starter is got to be one of the most difficult jobs. And, you know, it's real easy for us to see, especially in those, you know, two turn races where we're looking head on at the starting gate. Um, but, but it wasn't like he was jumping up in the gate. It was kind of just that mild action, which, which is probably hard to see from, from that vantage point. But again, you know, I, I, I thought that with, the, he broke so sharp in the last couple um, wasn't really worried about that today, but again, yeah, it just didn't work out. Two horses that kind of, you know, split the top two in your horse, uh, Mask of Parade and Tonaku, are horses that, you know, had really good first starts, didn't improve as much second time, and now came back for this third start and kind of jumped back up and around like where they had originally ran. What are your thoughts on the horses that don't improve so much second time out? Do you look at them as just automatic tosses and if they beat you in that third start, you know, you have to take a fresher approach? Are you one that, you know, can kind of, you know, Cross, cross, bleh, cross out that last race and just, you know, okay, let's see if they can run back to that debut. Uh, I, I don't know if I have a blanket philosophy. I, I know it's more case by case, but, but I, I do like if, um, you know, sometimes you'll see where, where, you know, good horses will kind of pair those first two buyers and take that step forward in the third, in the third start. So uh, again, it just kind of what depends on the situation. Mm-hmm. Other 
than that anybody else you want out of this race you think do you want cool rags coming back out or are you more looking forward to seeing sainthood in an allowance race and maybe you'll try and beat him again because this race obviously didn't come back with the improvement that we that i had thought and you maybe had thought he wouldn't have yeah I, i'm interested to see where where pletcher goes with him um you know i i wonder if the thought was to bring him here because he thought maybe with a good performance, he could compete in a race like the Louisiana Derby. Um, I, so I, I would think that off that performance, I, I would, I would like to see him more in an allowance race next, as opposed to going right in the stakes company. I don't think it was one of the slower uh, mile in the 16th races on, on the, the card. Um you know, I, I did like the grittiness that, that he, because Dolder Granted, I, I think at one point was about a half length in front of him. And, you know, Sainthood, mm -hmm. after doing all the heavy lifting, was able to just kind of battle right back. Um, but, you know, depending on the race, I, I could play him in an allowance race, um, depending on where he winds up. I, I probably will be against Dolder Grand again I next time, just because, again, it was, uh, you know, if it was possible for him to have a better trip than he did in January, he, he had the run of the race and, and still you know, made it to the front, but, you know, idled a little bit and Sainthood was able to battle back and beat him. Uh, so pro probably a horse I'll be looking against. I, I if, you know, if there's a two turn maiden race on the Louisiana Derby day card, I will probably be trying to beat him on top again, whether it's cool rags or somebody else. Let's move on to race number eight. It's an optional 50K and 1X going 1 on 116 miles on the dirt. We see here, of course, we were just talking about from the last race, uh, Dolderan's rival Big Lake ends up in here. What would you like in here, Eric? I was really impressed by the debut from Defeater, the four. Um, I, I saw 6-1 to one on the morning line. I, I thought that that was high. Um I did not expect him to go off as the two to one favorite uh, when I was <laughs> yeah. doing the write up. Uh, at, um, but I, I was kind of thinking, you know, the, the number I had in my head was about four to one on this horse. But I, I again, that was a extremely professional debut. Half step slow, lost position, um, but but there was no panic. Kind of uh, shifted out four wide on the turn and just just kind of easily went by uh, both parts of a. Uh, pretty well meant Godolphin entry that day, uh, back on January 2nd. Um, I, I also, you know, think that James Graham, he rode big Lake last time and he rode defeater. And I imagine he chose defeater. Now I, I know Johnny V ended up on big Lake. So uh, it's, uh, cer certainly, uh, you know, no shame for him, <laughs> but, uh, you know, again, when, when intent, if, if you have the choice of two and you're choosing this one, I thought it meant, you know, means something. I, I hope one day, like, obviously we had, you know, a, a question con a couple of years ago. Like, if we can just get a bunch of jockeys down, we can just, you know, ask these questions. Like, well, back in the day, you know, you had a big stake race and you had the <laughs> choice of three horses. They'll, they'll probably be like, we had no idea that the agent got us the ride and that's how we did it. Because you always hear it, you know. Santana's got three for Asmussen, and well, obviously he must have chose this one. And then it, it comes out two weeks later; he had he just chose, you know, whatever. And I th I think that that mentality that a lot of handicappers have can sometimes be a little bit dangerous. I mm -hmm. personally like the fact that Graham also ended up choosing Defeater, and I think that Johnny obviously probably rides for Asmussen. 
it says, you know, only six starts in the last couple of years with a awful .53 ROI for uh, on the dollar. It just – I think it was a pickup mount for Johnny and just because he was there. And obviously it seems – from what I've heard, John Johnny's not riding during the week. He's just going track to track on the weekends and having his weeks off, which must be a pretty nice way to go. I was also on defeater. I thought, like you had said, that it was a professional – uh, opening race and the fact that I see a couple blue fractions in there and he came from decently out of it four lengths you know he's pretty much almost you know starting to become a closer and less of a stalker and really really looked gr- good James Graham obviously taking the call 24% in the ass in uh, the Tom Amos barn I just think that when you look at this race as well Big Lake had such a great setup in that last race but was also working out pheno- phenomenally for Asmussen I think that the odds in here are what kind of tripped me up and that if we got weren't, you know, having to put it in so early and I saw Big Lake being more of the 72 shot that he was, maybe I jump on Big Lake here and, you know, Defeater was definitely, I think, an underlay in this race. Absolutely. I, I They pretty much flipped in where I was looking at it. So I, I did um, – my, my initial thought was, was to – try and beat big lake because because of you know a lot of the reasons that you said i also have this theory right now um you know i and i i've played fairgrounds from year to year but i haven't really been following it every day and you know with, with oaklawn opening up and, and i know you you write for oaklawn um i i think asmussen you know asmussen and, and cox to their dirt their best dirt horses are in arkansas right now mm-hmm. So horses that may have been here at the start of the meet, uh, um, you, you know, you, you look at how that, I mean, and then the purses aren't bad at fairgrounds by any stretch of imagination, yeah. but um, you know, you look at what, what the purses are for maiden uh, and first level allowance races, the, the their best stock are, are going to be in, in Arkansas. And, and I, I think for, for national trainers like that, it, it means something to win a meet like that. Um, so seeing that big lake stayed here and again he, he was working very well but probably not regarded as one of the top shooters in in the Asmussen stable so that made me look to want to beat him um now, now again then i i also kind of looked at gagetown in this race which is you know kind of the same thing as, as he's from the cox barn but i i did like his two-turn debut um mm-hmm. And, you know, he had the two starts, was in the stakes race, the Sugar Bowl at six furlongs. And I, I did see that, you know, a lot of times you'll see Brad Cox's horses improve in that second time doing something. So the second time at two turns. Um, so I, I was willing to, you know, tread lightly with him um, there. And, and the other horse I kind of looked at was, was Blameworthy. And it was kind of back and forth on this one, but, but, and I, I'm not sure if I've ever seen a horse with three straight tires <laughs> yeah. that are the exact same, all at the same six furlong distance. But the, the, he, I thought he was drawn well. Um, you know, there's definitely by by blame out of a Roman ruler mare. So, so there's definitely a two-term pedigree there. Um, so I, I thought with the foundation that that could be a horse that you can consider. Um, you know, he was cold on the board at the start. I, I think it was, was nine to one for a while. And that then was kind of, ha- ha- you know, late money came in on him. I think he went off right around the morning line about nine to two. That is exactly what went off at. And I was going to ask you about Blameworthy, if you didn't bring it up, just three straight eighties, obviously after the debut at 17 to one started taking money, seven to two and two to one favoritism last time out. 
the horse has been running pretty much the same type of race, four by one, two by one. Finally got the full outright lead in that last race at Fairgrounds. I want nothing to do with this one. If he beats me, he beats me. I just uh, sooner or later he's going to go down in buyer. Just you know, or if he goes up, I can't imagine we're going to see it eighty-five to eighty-nine out of this horse. It's probably going to be more of a nice little eighty-two, eighty-three jump, which would have been more than enough to get it done in this race. But I just thought seeing Big Lake. And a horse like Defeater, who had been so professional and maybe up against a little bit from a pace scenario, would end up doing well in here. Let's see who can get it done here in the eighth. It is a consensus pick of mine and Eric with Defeater. Let's see who gets it done right now. And they're off. Whiskey Double broke sharp. Big Lake, Blameworthy, good speed. And regular guy strides up on the outside as they line up, heading toward the clubhouse turn, just being led at the inside. By Blameworthy for Declan Carroll. So Blameworthy takes charge of the pace from Whiskey Double and Big Lake runs in the three path. With throw the inside, a keen Warlock Dock, who's fourth and right at the leader's heels. And a real claustrophobic spot there is Warlock Dock taken back to settle. Gage down between horses and three wide is regular guy, six furlongs to go. And Blameworthy is the overall leader. It's a break of four more then to a settled Laker Mamba, who's in front of Big Nick. We trail back then to Defeater, heavy duty, as a drop back of long odds, five furlongs from home. And risk manager trails, the opening quarter was 24.22 seconds at the four and a half. And Blameworthy still dictates the field, leads Whiskey Double and Big Lake. Warlock Duck is still keen and held up. Gage Town, purple with the gold sleeves between horses. Regular guy will be three wide both turns. Baker Mamba is seven from the front, but now this is three furlongs from home. And the half mile was 48.34 seconds. To the inside is Defeater with Big Nick outside that. We trail back to Heavy Duty and Risk Manager as they come toward the top of the stretch. And Big Lake's move. So Big Lake has taken the lead for John Velasquez as these three roll straight and past the quarter pole. 113.16 seconds for six furlongs. Big Lake has opened up here. Big Lake has come clear by a half dozen lengths from Defeater, who's charging hard with Gage down between horses. Laker Mamba, Whiskey Double, and next is Warlock Dock. But past the 16th, it's Big Lake. Big Lake, the son of American Pharaoh, chased home by Defeater. Big Lake on the wire holds a bearing down Defeater by just about a neck for the win. Gage Town third, Laker Mamba finished fourth. And the number 10, Big Lake gets it done, paying 880 with an 81 buyer. This one stung a little bit as we come up just short by half a length. Two to one, though, being the underlay, I probably would have been on Big Lake in the contest at this point. Definitely. I think that, you know, trying to guess how some of these races, especially on these big days, um, guessing how some of these races are going to be bet. Um, but but at seven to two was uh, certainly a, a fair figure. Um, you know, mo moving forward, I, I I thought Defeater. You know, when you go back and look at this card, I don't think anybody made up that kind of ground uh, from far behind going wide like he did on the cards. So, so he is definitely a horse that I would consider playing back. Um, but again, you, you know. Kind of the theme of my day, trouble at the start, may have hesitated just a shade slow, and then Blameworthy took a right-hand turn into him at the start. And next thing you know, he's uh, 11th place and left with a lot of work to do, uh, trying to beat a good horse like Big Lake. I think, too, and we had said we had talked about Gagetown, obviously, earlier, runs a solid third for Fleuron and Cox. Blameworthy uh, ran absolutely dreadful, back half of the field, 
only ran a 28 buyer. So I guess we know, obviously, when they go first time to a route, obviously something had to uh, had to give, and it was a complete blowout to the bottom end of the pack. Gagetown kind of ended up running that same race last time, so not so much improvement. It kind of reminds me of, you know, St. Hood from the last race. But defeaters, nice improvement. And I've always said this, if you're in within handicapping, if you lose, you know, within – two lengths or whatnot, or your horse improves and someone else just improves a little bit more, your handicapping was good. Maybe in the future, you know, maybe you have to include a horse like Big Lake if you're playing, you know, the pick fives and pick sixes, but your handicapping was solid. You just kind of lost to the, to what happened on the racetrack. I, I, I agree. And it was just, you know, the right idea doesn't always mean that, that it's, it's going to be uh, right at the windows. <laughs> And I, I think, too, looking at this, like we had said, if you with the odds being flip-flop, defeater here is probably not the play. And knowing that a horse like Big Lake, you know, if you look at it, it was only improving three, three buyer points, ours improved four. So it's kind of like that, that give and go. But only losing by uh, less than two lengths, I'm okay with the performance here by this horse. And just, you know, going forward at two to one might just be one that I need to take a cautious approach for from a short price. Yeah, and, and that, that was where... Uh, at, you know, four to one was, you know, seven to two, four to one, where I was kind of thinking, willing to take that risk on a horse that doing something for the first time when a horse is, is two to one over a, a horse, a proven horse like big Lake at, you know, who, who you get at seven to two, you know, it's, it's just a different story. Let's move on to the race. Everyone was there to see it was race number 13, the grade two risen star stakes. It goes off at one and one eighth miles on the dirt. I was ready to feel vindicated here. My top pick was Mandaloon. Just we had heard a lot of people when I had talked about with Brian Natto on a previous podcast how at four to five he didn't really, you know, show much and should have done more to try and win that race. And I said, when you can improve in that type of race, you know, eight or ten buyer points as a three year old, that's really all you're looking for is that improvement, you know, and trying to find the right horses. Obviously horses you know, Midnight Bourbon and those had improved a little bit more. I was 100% against Senior Buscador in this race. Yeah, I, I was, uh, before the day started, I, I was 100% on his uh, hype train. <laughs> but but after watching the first few races, you know, j- just looking like like it was going to, he was going to be up against it. Um, you know, I go back and watch those races at Remington. Uh, really li- just visually impressive. Um you know, for, for a horse to come, you know, b- both races looked like it had no chance. And, and I know the pace setup was, was pretty good in the springboard mile, um, but, but still looked like it had no chance. And just that slingshot, you know, six wide move mm-hmm. and just inhaled the field in both races. Um, and, and then the, the speed figures kind of back, you know, you fire thoroughgraph all, they kind of back that up as one, as two of the more impressive uh, races that, that I, you know, certainly the springboard were one of the fastest races from a two-year-old last year. But, but, but again, you know, it's kind of as you're making adjustments throughout the card, you just, you knew you weren't going to get six to one on him, um, you know, and, and he opened up at three to two, which was kind of a crazy low number. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it ended up going off at five to two and Mandaloon was bet down to two to one, if, if I uh, remember correctly. Um, but, but even five to two with the way the track was playing was, was way too low for me. Mandaloon did go off as a two to one favorite and, you know, other horses that were within that LeCompte race proxy midnight bourbon. 
it was such a weird race because I was I was like, okay, Mandolin's going to be five to one. There were a lot of people that were off the hype train after that terrible third place in the last prep, and I'm like, okay, I'll finally get a decent price on him. And I saw a two to one, and I was pretty sick to my stomach. And then you see a horse <laughs> that I just beaten him be going off at five to one. What were your thoughts on Proxy and Midnight Bourbon? Uh, you know, Midnight Bourbon, I, I, I thought that, that that was a, a really big effort in his first time at two turns, but um, it, it couldn't ask for a better trip. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was looking at, and, you know, five to one, all of a sudden, not a bad price when, when you know, I think, did he end up, and uh, I don't have the chart in front of me, I, he may have gone off as, as uh, fourth choice did, did proxy go off lower than him proxy went off at four to one he went off at five to one so you know i, I guess there really weren't many believers um for, for him to be fourth choice in that race after winning the lecompte um but but i i, I did see i wasn't sure that he had the best chance at just uh in this particular race i thought there was more speed today than there was in the lecompte um and, and again, he had such a good trip that, that day. Uh, Proxy, I, I didn't put him in my top three, but but I respected him. Obviously, he, he was the horse that Johnny V was here to ride um, and, and took that big jump forward in, in uh, LeCompte to, for that second place. And, and you know, the, back in January in Le, the LeCompte, there, there were about three or four horses that all kind of had those same patterns there. And it was, you know, you were kind of wondering, well, who's going to be the one that jumps up, mm-hmm. you know, what was it? Santa Cruiser? Was it uh, proxy um, proxy did, but, but um, you know, that, that was such a big jump for, for me to play him at four to one. I, I needed to see a little bit more. I, I think too, like I had said, just wanting to be validated from a horse like Mandaloon. Everyone had said this horse, you know, at four to five, just couldn't get it done last time. And Midnight Burden and Proxy finishing in front. I think that the two workouts after the race, two of 99, bullet one of 35, kind of told me this horse was just going to progress again and just, you know, show maybe a little bit more in the tank. Obviously, having a horse like Keep Me In Mind out of the Diodoro Barn, who had just gotten done winning the Kentucky, Kentucky Jockey Gold Cup, was uh, a favorable scratch of mine. And now I was ready to really see who could uh, who could break it down. Who was your top pick in the in the daily golf tournament. I, I, I was on senior Buscador and then Mandolin was my backup there. And I, I think the only reason I, I jumped off of him from, I, I was, I was perplexed a little bit by adding blinkers here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I saw him, it seemed like there was going to be a little more speed than there was in the LeCompte. He had an outside draw again, you know, didn't, you know, I mean, and there's different reasons a trainer will put blinkers on. So, so, but, but that just threw me a little bit because I didn't want him to be, you know, I was worried about him getting hung out uh, four or five wide if he was a little too keen on the front end. So, um, you know, that, that was the kind of the, the, that, and again, prior to, you know, re- really liking the, the last two, the first two races from Senor Buscador. For me, it was Mandaloon trying to feel vindicated after my talk with Brian Natto on the last one. For you, Senior Buscador trying to build off of that impressive run on the springboard mile. Let's see if you can get some Kentucky Derby points right now. And they're off. And the Risen Star stakes. And Proxy broke sharp. Beep, beep. There's Midnight Bourbon and Right and Just now. Rockets out to the lead for Mitchell Murrell. It's Right and Just. 
A long odds front runner heading toward the clubhouse turn, but right there, the Lecomte winner, Midnight Bourbon, and the white cap and blinkered Mandaloon is third and close up as they round the clubhouse turn. Proxy in the Dolphin Blue running in fourth. With Obesos in fifth, Star of My Dreams is sixth, looking to get out as they round the clubhouse turn. BP between horses posted in the three to four path. Santa Cruiser looks to improve with just inside six furlongs to run. Then it's a break of five more to Sermon on the Mount, followed toward the inside by Carrillo, and Senor Buscador has dropped back to last. The first two of nine furlongs in 23.65 seconds. Just inside five furlongs to run. Midnight Bourbon flanks right and just. So right and just leads Midnight Bourbon, who's right there. Mandaloon in the three path, running close up in third with Proxy in fourth. Star My Dreams is fifth. Obesos in sixth, Beep Beep is seventh, Santa Cruz are in eighth, Carrillo's in ninth, Senor Buscador now picking up and has come past Carrillo. That relegates uh, to last position, Sermon on the Mount, half mile in 48.45 seconds. Midpoint on the turn, Midnight Bourbon has confronted right and just, and Mandaloon has been right with them. Proxy now tips to the forepath. Oh, baseless on the far outside. Senor Buscador was the wide out past the quarter pole. Three quarters, one minute, 12.74 seconds. Mandaloon has taken a short lead from a battling Midnight Bourbon. On the outside is a proxy, then Obesos, Senor Buscador. They come past the 16th. It's Mandaloon. Mandaloon, proxy and Midnight Bourbon with Florent Giroux. It's Mandaloon. And Mandaloon wins the Risen Star Stakes. Proxy was second, Midnight Bourbon third. And then a three-way go for fourth between Senor Buscador with Obesos and Right and Jazz. And the number 11, Mandaloon, does get it done, paying 620 with a 98 buyer. Another improving race for him. Senor Buscador, obviously, just not probably the right track profile for him to do well today. Might be one next time out with maybe a little bit of a dirty form now. Maybe people don't think he can face the best of the best. Might end up in a smaller Kentucky Derby prep and surprise people again. Definitely. And, um, you know, I sometimes that, that wide move might work at a track like Oakland. So, so maybe that they'll think, uh, you know, maybe they'll try the rebel uh, in, uh, in a few weeks. Um, you know, I, I probably wouldn't bet him back if he, if he was in the Louisiana Derby. Um, but, uh, again, when you, when you looked at the, you know, the, the two, three, four, five finishers were pretty much up front the whole way. Um, it wasn't an awful performance, but again, it, it's just not the way that, that horses were winning at, at the fairgrounds yesterday or on Saturday. I will say this though. It looks like the LeCompte is a very nice prep as the top three come right back to run, you know, first, second and third around in here. Is it just one of those races where now you kind of have to think going into Louisiana Derby Day that horses out of the Lecomte and just, you know, Mandaloon, Proxy, Midnight Bourbon, who will probably just end up showing right back in because they obviously like this track just might be a little bit too dangerous. Now you're just trying to see, you know, is it Proxy's turn now to beat Mandaloon and Midnight Bourbon? It's certainly possible. And, and you know, you wonder if all three are going to come back or if they might, um, you know, Mandaloon has the points to get in, but you know, when you, when you're jockeying for those points, it might Asmussen uh, or Stidham look elsewhere with, with those two to maybe find an easier spot, you know, with, with the bluegrass going to a grade two, sometimes that, that, that might work out a little easier than, you know, the, the Louisiana Derby might. Any other horse in here that you're kind of excited about? Obviously, Senior Buscador, we said maybe with a better trip. 
Santa Cruiser didn't really run back that well, but was also 21 to 1. Everyone else kind of double digits. Oh, Bezos was 21 to 1 and cracked the top four. Maybe one interesting, you know, from an improvement angle, slowly improving 60, 78, 84, 88 now. Maybe the next race will be a, you know, he'll crack a 90 and be able to play, you know, maybe that grade three, you know, grade two stake race. Absolutely. I, I, he definitely stepped forward today and, and showed that, that he could be competitive with, with some of the better three-year-olds in, in the country. So um, I'll be interested to see where he goes next. If, if he stays here, if he's looking elsewhere, but uh, you know, I, I thought that was a, definitely a solid race from him. That's going to be all the time we have for today's podcast uh, next week for the daily gallop contest, Eric, it's uh, I believe Sam Houston. Do you have much of a experience at that track? I know I don't. Uh, I've, I've been playing a little bit more uh, with uh, some of the stable duel games there. So, so mm-hmm. I have been kind of following along as the meets gone on. Um, but I, I don't do great there. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, you know, that, now it worked out last week because I've done terrible at Tampa this meet, um, <laughs> but I had a pretty good day last week. So go figure. Where can people find you on social media and tell, kind of tell people, you know, about your writing for In the Money and also if you have a best bet for today. I know they're racing today on this uh, President's Day card. Yeah, uh, it, my uh, Twitter handle is uh, Eric Solomon 718 uh, I, I am writing for In, in the Money. Uh, my best bet on the card today, uh, race seven, number eight, uh, Tom Amos claim. Sorry, just trying to, trying to pull up it. <laughs> no, sorry. Yeah, my bad. Blue Ridge Mountain, uh, four to one on the morning line. I haven't gotten the uh, need to once I uh, once we leave here, I've got to go back and uh, re handicap because I, I did not handicap for both surfaces today and they, they are off the turf. But uh, so see how the scratches are in there. But but four to one on the morning line, first claim from Amos. Um, so so expecting a jump up there, the, like the recent form with, with a lower percentage trainer now moving into a good barn. Glad to have you on the show, Eric. So happy to see your continuing success over in the money. Hope to have you on again soon. Sounds like a plan. This is fun. Thank you, Spencer. And now let's hear Barry Meadows tip of the week from his book, The Skeptical Handicapper, available at trpublishing.com or Amazon. Take it away, Barry. How much difference does the jockey make? All of us can remember great rides where it seems the jockey's brilliance resulted in victory, but we can also remember the boneheaded rides that cost us a big score. Jockeys win races mostly because they are aboard solid contenders, while jockeys who rarely win are stuck on long shots with little chance. We counted as top jockeys anyone who won more than 20% of his starts during the last 365 days, while we considered lower-level jockeys those winning fewer than 10% of their starts. This is not 100% accurate. It's likely that a 9% jockey at Saratoga is more skillful than a 21% jockey at Nowhere Downs, but it's a reasonable definition for computer research. Then we looked at the results of favorites written by each group. More than 28,000 favorites written by the top jockeys versus more than 15,000 favorites piloted by lesser jockeys. Here's the interesting result. The top jockeys' return on investment was 83 cents per dollar, while the lesser jockeys' ROI was a near identical 82 cents per dollar. More evidence that it's the horse, not the jockey? How about this? In another survey, we bet only the jockey who had the highest one-year percentage in the race. When such a jockey was on the favorite, he won 39% with a 0.83 ROI. But when he was on a horse that went off at 8 to 1 or higher, he won just 5% with an ROI of only 0.74. 
I'm Barry Meadow, author of The Skeptical Handicapper, using data and brains to win at the racetrack. Thanks again, Barry, for that awesome tip. And thank you to my special guest, Eric Solomon. And thank you to the listeners for keeping this podcast strong and coming up with great questions to ask throughout the weeks. This show is my production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Pierre Thomas Forentale. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>